an army kid. How were you born in Germany? Born in Germany. You don't think black people can be born in Germany? <laughs> no. like, like my parents. Wait, no, no, no. Like, 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 like my parents. A black man. No, no. Let's, let's get this on camera so that we can, we can let everybody know. With you being black. No, clearly it is. <laughs> clearly there's a problem. I mean, coming from from Germany and then yeah. to. Charlotte. Yeah. How did that happen? Oh, there's a lot in between. There's a lot in between. There's probably a plane. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> you didn't I flew. My, my parents are really, really wealthy. Oh. Oh. Now what? <laughs> I would have never guessed. See? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, my God. Because exactly. it had to be military. <laughs> I don't know. Somebody actually asked me that. Clark asked me that. My friend that said that she was in Germany for a year, and I was like, I don't know. She said, maybe he was in the family in the military. Mm-hmm. <laughs> recorded the whole thing. <laughs> oh, you? my God. Been recording for a while. That's oh, awesome. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. I look racist. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> this is great. Well, uh, my uh, friends are going to be like, uh, I had no uh, idea. Uh, That's really? <laughs> okay. okay. Hi, welcome to the Mad River Anthology. This is Leif Johnson, live on the radio with my co-host. Vanessa Pike Verdiak from the Accident Lab Slam in Eureka. And we're here tonight with Andrew Tyree and Rudy Francisco. Andrew is a poet, actor, singer, and award-winning spoken word artist. He's the 2004 Slam Bush champion, the 2005 New Eurekan Grand Slam champion, and the 2009 Slam Charlotte Grand Champion. And Rudy Francisco is the 2007 San Diego Grand Slam Champion, a member of the 2008 Hollywood Slam Nation, and placed third in the individual World Poetry Slam this year. Damn, and we're very lucky to have these two poets come and visit us way up here in Eureka, California, Humboldt County. A pleasure to have them here. And tonight, we are asking them about the Good Guy Tour that they are on. And the first question that we have is, why the Good Guy Tour? Well, uh, Andrew Tyree here. Um, Good Guy, the name kind of just, it was given to us by a friend of ours. Uh Uh, Her name is uh, Queen Sheba. She's a poet out of Atlanta. And um, I have a poem, I mean, one that's actually called The Good Guys, and we just kind of fit the description of what the poem is talking about, and so it kind of just fit for us to go and tour under that under that um, that name, that image, and it kind of gives people an idea of what it is that we're trying to do mm-hmm. with poetry in general. Um, unfortunately, a lot of a lot of a lot of men that we run into don't kind of fall into that category, and mm-hmm. so it's it's good to see positive guys on stage and and you know doing their thing and spreading good messages. So, and how did the two of you come together for the tour? Um, initially, we met. About three years ago, mm-hmm. um, Andrew featured at a venue that um, me and a few of my colleagues host in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And then we ran into each other again about a year and a half ago or so mm-hmm. um, when I featured at his venue in Greensboro. Yes, I was living in Greensboro, North Carolina at the time. Yeah. And then, you know, we got to talking. Um, you know, we, we are huge fans of each other's work. We got to talking one day and we just said, you know what, we should go on tour together. Yeah. And took it from there pretty much. It's really it's really interesting because we mm. met again at, at at the national competition. Yeah, at, it was it was two thousand nine, right? It was this 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 year's yeah this year's competition. Yeah. Um, 
And we were like, let's go on tour. We planned it, and we got on the road. And just today, I was telling Rudy, mm. like, we never really actually thought about, like, all the bad things that could happen. <laughs> like, we never, like, talked long enough to realize, like, how much messed up stuff could possibly have happened on this tour. Like, mm-hmm. he could have been, like, a thief <laughs> or a really bad driver. <laughs> he could have, like, brought his, like, long-lost daughter on yeah. the road with him or something. Uh, yeah, and you distrusted each other. Yeah, because we really didn't even know each other. Yeah, we didn't know each other well enough to be like, yo, I'm going to spend the next month and a half with you in a car. Yeah. And uh, it could have been all bad. It could have been horrible. <laughs> been but luckily, bad. it's going very well. Luckily, it's going really, really yeah. well. Do you think you can do that piece for us, Andrew, the good guy? Peace. Sure. Right now? Mm-hmm. You ready for it? I'm ready for it. So this is for the good guys. For the never do you wrong guys. For the never lay a hand on you always on time. Say he'll be there at 9. 8.58 he's parking the car guys. Yeah, this is for the straight shooter. For the one who would never cheat on his girl because he's a real man. And real men know that for quality, quantity just doesn't do it. But y'all don't want us. Yeah, this is for the unintentional motivators ready to impart inspiration in their good mornings. For the ones who are never blessed with game, just the truth because that's all the mamas ever taught them. Yeah, this is for the one to encourage you to go to church with them every Sunday and you'll never be afraid to take them home for the holidays. For the ones who don't clean up well because they're always just well cleaned up. And for the ones who think that Menace to Society, Boys in the Hood, and Dead Presidents were all really, really great movies, just not really good ways to live. So this is for the good guys. For the never do you wrong guys. For the never lay a hand on you, always on time. Say he'll be there at 9, 8.58, he's parking the car, guys. Yeah, this is for the straight shooter. For the one who would never cheat on his girl because he's a real man. And real men know that for quality, quantity just doesn't do it. But y'all don't want us. Yeah, this is for the good guys who my ex-girlfriend once told me were always either married, broke, or gay. I told her she was a lie, and if she was telling the truth, it hasn't always been that way. You just never paid the scrubs any attention. Figured you could keep your thug, and when the time was right, you could just kind of host his intervention. No, I know you got caught up listening to Destiny's Children tell you that you need a soldier to be happy, and telling good guys like me that the only way to get a beautiful woman like you is to sag our pants, buy a fitted cap, and a pit bull. I don't even like pit bulls. But what they didn't tell you is that soldiers and pit bulls are only trained to kill. So at the death of everything beautiful in you and at the birth of the bitter woman you've become, now you're looking at me like you don't know what happened. Wish you had paid attention to the dude who didn't always know what was happening. So here's to the cat whose pants always fit. Who made a vow at 19 never to have the big, long, white t-shirt dresses in his closet. Yes, here's to the guy who really values marriage. Who believes that wedding bands and wedding vows are more than just jewelry and poetry. and Who, who love you all the time even though he doesn't feel like it. Even when you don't deserve it. Even for whatever reason, you just don't feel like working extra hard to earn it. Even for the fourth day in a row, it's raining and you forgot your umbrella again and now you want him to give you his. And it don't matter that he just got over a cold because you just got your hair dead. But he's going to love you all the time anyway. Even though he doesn't feel like it for the guy who spends time with his sons because that's his blood. And spends time with his daughters and nieces just to show them the way real men should treat them. So this is for the good guys. For the never do you wrong, guys. For the never lay a hand on you, always on time. So he'll be there at 9, 8.58, he's parking the car, guys. Yeah, this is for the straight shooter. For the one who would never cheat on his girl because he's a real man. And real men know that for quality, quantity just doesn't do it. So the next time a guy comes up to you and says, hey, babe, I'm not like them. I'm kind of different. Ladies, please be careful because it's probably just game, but just for a second. Assume it's not. Look him dead in the eye. Lean back. Squint. See if they look a little like mine. It might be the last time you ever have to give your number out. Thank you very much, Andrew. My pleasure. Delightful poem. Thank you. And I'm hoping the uh, 
the ladies will hear that tonight. I hope they will too. Yes, <laughs> all you ladies out there. Clearly, they won't come and say anything to me afterwards. <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely had that discussion. We had that yeah, conversation. We did already. have that discussion. Yeah. I guess the next question would be: uh, Who are your poems directed to? Who are you speaking to? Either with that poem or uh, any other poems uh, that you're thinking of right now. Who are you speaking to? Who are these poems for? Huh. Um, I would have to say. My audience varies from poem to poem. Um, For example, I have this poem called Speechless, and it's pretty much about a kid that I used to know um, whose family died in a car accident, and he was very... um, He he blamed God for his misfortune, and it was about basically my struggle with being a strong believer in God and not being able to tell him anything about his situation that would make him feel any better. And I feel like that particular poem is directed toward everyone who's ever been in that situation just to kind of let people know that sometimes we don't have the answer for everything, and it's okay. It's human. We don't have the answers, and it's fine. Mm -hmm. It's really funny how different people's lives, it doesn't, like, the problems in it, they don't vary much. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Like you think that you're so different than everybody else, but when you really stop and look at it, when you talk to people, you're really very similar. And you guys go through, and you know, everybody goes through like a lot of the same things. So it's very interesting. Like you'll do a poem, and you'll think you're reaching out to a certain audience, and somebody who you think, you know, this person probably wouldn't even relate to this piece, they'll come up to you and they'll be like, "Wow, that really touched me." So you never know. You mm-hmm. know, it's always it's always interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like? How do you feel like you? you know what piece to perform when you go on. Like, as um, some of you, as I announced in the beginning, know that um, Rudy had placed third in the competition that took place last weekend in Berkeley. And I was I wanted you to set the stage for us, Rudy, and, and take us to finals night and how you decided what you were going to perform. Are you the kind of poet that, that feels it in the moment? Or are you the kind of poet that's that's strategic and has got it all planned out, you know, like... How do you do that? And the same the same question for you, Andrew. But I want Rudy to take us to finals night. Okay, I would say it's it's a little bit of both. Um, you have to have an idea of which poems would possibly work, and then you have to be flexible as well, because in the moment you can notice that a particular type of poem is scoring well, and you might want to perform one of those. Like what I try to do is um I, first I look at what I have left. Because um, at final stage, I noticed that I had about six or seven poems left that I could probably pull off pretty well on final stage. And then I really had to listen to how other people were being scored. And then I had to choose my poems, you know, carefully. Do you take um, feedback, outside feedback? Like, do you have um, friends or anybody coaching you while you're about to go on? Or do you just listen to your intuition? Um, it, it depends on the slam. Uh, at the at the World Slam, I didn't have anybody coaching me, but um, often when I do slams, I have a my manager Christopher Wilson. A lot of times, you know, he suggests poems to me. He's, he'll he'll pull me aside and ask me which poems am I planning on doing, and then he'll make a suggestion based on what he sees, and then um, I'll take that suggestion into account, and then, you know, more likely than not, I will you know do the poem that he suggested. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Um, Rudy actually, we actually just did a slam. It was an all star slam, 
in mm-hmm. in Oakland, and this is a great example. Yeah. I um I have a poem that I do called Deepest Pain, and it's about my my heartbreak. It's mm-hmm. about a situation where I had my heart broken, and I usually in a slam I like to do that piece first, and it usually scores really well. And there aren't too many things that throw me off from doing that poem first. But in this situation, Rudy also has a poem about heartbreak that he did right before mine Mm. that did really well. So there's no way I can go behind him and then do another heartbreak poem. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it it just wasn't going to happen. So I had to come and go, like, left field. So Mm -hmm. something way outside of heart and romance and love and try and make that poem score you know well and and so you have to be flexible uh-huh. and also know you know what you what you have left to do would you guys consider yourself slam poets you no <laughs> <laughs> um, i consider myself to be a, a spoken word artist slash poet mm-hmm. and i slam yeah. but i definitely wouldn't call myself a slam poet per se you know slam poets they can't they can't do anything else. It's mm-hmm. so that's so like boxed in, you know what I mean? Like they can't go to a jail, a prison, they can't go mm-hmm. to like a foster home, they can't go anywhere else, a library and really have any effect. They can only slam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's so that's so limiting. It's that's unfortunate to be just a slam poet. So no, I don't think anybody wants to box themselves in like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rudy, would you wanna go back to that? finals night poem that you that you performed down in berkeley and uh mm-hmm. do that on the radio for us right now definitely my friend ashley has a venus fly trap in between her legs and smiles like a pipe bomb full of fireflies so beautiful On the day she was born, I bet there were angels standing in the middle of an octagon with brass knuckles and baseball bats ready to fight for the opportunity to be her guardian. Last month, she got married to a 26-year-old boy with a short temper and no plans, a heart like a Rubik's Cube. These days, she only has one hobby, and that's trying to find the right combination to his unconditional love, but she can only figure out the colors that match the wounds that he has left on her body. Honestly, he treats her like a small country with no military and lots of oil. He occupies her whenever he wants, invades her borders, depletes her resources. I'm surprised the Patriot Act isn't engraved on her wedding ring. And last week, I was watching CNN. And I came to the conclusion that Ashley and Iraq actually have a whole lot in common. They've both been attacked without reason, blamed for things they haven't done. She has no weapons of mass destruction. She's just a caterpillar that's already turned into a butterfly but doesn't know that she can spread her wings and leave. Hasn't realized that a relationship between a unicorn and a dragon is destined for failure. And I fear that someday she'll have to read her bruises like instructions. I still remember... I remember the first time he put his hands on her. She came to my door with leopard spots and I watched the tears fall like the value of an American dollar. She collapsed in my arms as if she were a building with a belly full of explosives and I held her close, crumbling like an urban city. You see, that night, I pulled her planet from the solar system, placed it in the center of my hands, hoping that I could make her world beautiful again. And I knew everything that she wanted to ask me. 
So instead of offering her some fruit basket full of advice, I pulled her up. I put her eyes on backwards so that she can look inside of herself to find the answer. But if I could, I would have pulled the question marks out of her spine and then used them to strangle the life out of her insecurities. But that night, we were just candles, melting in reverse, and I inhaled the smoke from her burning soul like her spirit was made of nicotine. I took her emotions. I tied them around my arm until there was bumper-to-bumper traffic in my veins. I injected her tears into my bloodstream as if drugs leaked directly from her eyes. That night, I swallowed her story, and she made me promise to keep it safe within the confines of my stomach, but now I'm shoving this poem down the avenues of my throat and throwing up her secrets like gang signs. Ashley, if you can hear this, I'm sorry, but I can no longer stand here and continue to be silent. Wow. Mm, Thank you. That was very nice. Can you tell us if Ashley's real? Like, are these stories real to you? Like you guys were talking about tonight at the show, that mm-hmm. you have to have some sort of story, you know, some mm-hmm. sort of um, experience to almost be a poet and be valid, you know, uh-huh. some sort of pain to have experienced. So do you feel like you have to, that you weave your own story in and out of other people's, or is Ashley completely, like, honest, you know? Yeah, um, Ashley is actually completely honest. Um, well, not completely, because her name actually isn't Ashley. Mm-hmm. I changed the name of, of the main character of the poem, but that is a, a very true story, pretty much start to finish. Mm. Okay, well, tell us how both of you got introduced to poetry. Did you guys, like you were saying tonight, I'm sure you didn't grow up thinking you were going to be these talented, young, slam poets. No, no, I mean... First, far back as I, I can remember, I wanted to do art. Like, I started out, um, well, of course, when I was younger, younger, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then I started out uh, singing, and I had a singing group, like, back when I was living in, in St. Louis, and we had ourselves a little record deal. We thought we were we were really hot stuff. And then um, I moved to New York and started doing musical theater and fell in love with acting. And one of my one of my artistic directors at a, at a theater company that I was a part of, he was actually a semi-finalist at the New Eurekan Poets Cafe. Um, New Eurekan Poets Cafe is probably the oldest or second oldest um, and probably the most well-known poetry cafe like in, in the world. It's And he was like, come down to New Eurekan and like what you wrote is, is really awesome. And I didn't really know what I had done and I went and it was a, it was a whole new world. Like I had no idea that people really did this like, for a living, man. And he was like, yeah, people actually do poetry for a living. And I was like, eh. No, they don't. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they write it, they put it in little flowery journals, they put it, like, they lock it with a little, like, <laughs> heart-shaped key, and they put the key on their necklace, and they tuck it in here, and then they skip. And then, like, that was what poetry was. And I went there, and people were, like, telling stories. So I went up there, and I did my poem. And they were like, awesome, you did a great job, you made it to the next round. I was like, next round? I was like, I don't, I don't have any more, <laughs> any more poems. So I go home, and I, I just spilled out everything like mom dad foster care like i just spilt everything out and i wrote like four or five pieces in like two days and i was like this is like cheap therapy uh-huh. you know what i mean and i was like i don't see why anybody would not do this mm. i'm not gonna stop that was november 03 huh. i would say with with me um i started writing 
my senior year in high school, and I never really told anybody. Um, and then uh, when I when I went off to college, a few of my friends came to visit, and they went through a few of my notebooks, and they actually started reading a few of my poems without me knowing. I came back into the room, and they were like, yo, like your, your poetry is really good. You should consider going to an open mic and reciting some of it. So after about a month of them, you know, constantly being in my air, trying to get me out to go, eventually I, I agreed. Um, they took me to a place called Claire de Lune, which is a fairly popular coffee shop and open mic at the time. They signed me up. I got on the mic, and I did my poem, and it was just so relieving. And then afterwards, you know, a whole lot of people came up to me. They said how much they enjoyed it. And that really encouraged me to continue writing. After that, I got a chance to meet a whole lot of people in the poetry scene in San Diego. And then they brought me to other open mics. And then it got to the point where I was at an open mic at least two, three times a week. And I just fell in love with it. So what about your activism? We were reading Mm. about your activism earlier Mm. today in San Diego. And what kind of things do you feel like you give back to your community besides poetry? Um, I'm actually a part of a a committee called uh, The Big Saturday. And what we do every third, it's the third Saturday in February every year, we put on a 24-hour Black History Month event where there there are events going on from 10 a.m. to 10 a.m. the following day. And that's that's one of the main organizations that I work with. I'm also a part of an organization called Collective Purpose, and we um, host poetry venues we put on open mics. We do guest lectures at universities. And we're, what we're really trying to do is trying to make poetry more than entertainment. Mm. Because a lot of times people come to open mics and it's fun and it's nice and all, but they don't leave with anything. So what we're trying to do is like do more guest lectures, workshops, and whatnot so that we can actually have some discourse and actually have some transformation through our poetry. That's, I feel like that's where um, the bulk of our activism comes into play. That's a good idea. I think I should try doing that at the Accent <laughs> Gallery, do some workshops and yeah. definitely mix it up. Mm-hmm. Do you want to do another piece for us, Andrew? Uh, sure. Yeah, I can do that. Um, personal favorite? My personal favorite? Do you have a personal favorite? Wow, I do. Like if you had a <laughs> Andrew's greatest hits, <laughs> this would be number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, Okay, absolutely. <laughs> Now, I know death comes quiet. Screaming in the middle of the night, carrying a big knife, slicing open R.E.M. bliss. And I know she leaves wet footprints. I know because my notebook is still waterlogged from it. And I know she leaves blood-curdling whispers on the rounds of pillowcases to those of us who would be religious that the end is near. And I know it's hard now. As if it wasn't hard enough for you before, and I know it's dark now, as if the light shone bright enough for you before, but you see, fear is not in your vocabulary, honey. It can't be for the children's sake. Carry our weight and our culture on your shoulders. See, there's a nation following in your wake, so tread that water, honey. Hold your head up high and keep the babies close to your bosom. Don't you dare think about what your feet are kicking. Your thoughts, they can't be that low. You got to pray without ceasing. It's the only way to keep your mind off the stench and keep treading water. See, we've been tried by fire. 
proven to be gold. And I know it's hot, but don't you act like we ain't been here before. You remember the slavery? Couldn't do it. The racism? Couldn't do it. The separation, the segregation, and the castrations? Couldn't do it. So I'll be damned if the raining down of our sister and the lackadaisical movement of our government would be the downfall of what we worked so hard to build. And yes, I call Katrina your sister, but only by name. Only because she cries rivers like a jealous relative, never be proud of her kin, and only because she beats up on her own people. But you see, blood is always thicker than water, honey, and she ain't got your birthright, so I know you can beat her. Matter of fact, I've been talking to God, and he sends word that she's already defeated. Just be careful who you're cursing and blaming, and don't cut off the hand that made it stop raining. Close your ears to the east wind that carries news of you. Don't you dare listen to a thing it is they say about you. You eat, and you feed your brothers and sisters any way you have to, and you protect yourself from any fool who looks like they want to hurt you, and you keep treading water when the level rises and the sun goes down and your eyesight seems irrelevant you keep treading water when the devil whispers in your ear give up to hell with it you keep treading water and smile because what radiates from inside of you girl has drying power so don't just smile smile bright Smile bright like bleach Vegas nights. Blind the enemy with peppermint creases because your access has been shifted. Shift it back and build it better with your smile. Your smile that has been doctored and educated, graduating with double majors in matters of the heart and your brother's well-being. Your smile that's at its best in September when Mother Nature seems to be at her worst and turns off, well, maybe when I'm not looking because you're always smiling to me even when the tears come and the sun fades. When we're straight-lipped and wet and we can't seem to find hope, redemption, or the president on the three-way, I just need you to keep smiling. So bright that if the North Star ever fades and falls from the sky, your brothers and sisters will still be able to close their eyes, find the way to Bethlehem, and see Jesus. Wow. Mm, great. Thank you, Andrew. Perseverance. Thank you. Mm. Keep treading water. I like the message. Uh, maybe we could have Rudy do one more, but getting closer to the end. Okay. Rudy's number one greatest hit, Rudy. <laughs> My number one number greatest one. hit. I think I'm going to vote for the piece that you opened up the show with tonight. That might be my favorite Rudy poem. Wait, which piece? The I'm Not a Love Poet. Oh, gotcha. I'll do that. I'm going to be honest. It's not often that I find myself eager to write about love. In fact, when I try, my hands cramp. Just to show me how painful love can be. Sometimes my pencils break. Just to prove to me that every now and then love takes a little more work than you planned. I heard that love is blind. So, I write all my poems in braille. And my poems are never actually finished because true love is endless. I've always believed that real love is kind of like a supermodel. Before she's airbrushed, it's pure and imperfect, just the way that God intended. I'm going to be honest, uh, I'm not much of a love poet. But if I was to wake up tomorrow morning and decide that I really wanted to write about love, my first poem would be about you. About how I love you the same way that I learned how to ride a bike. Scared, but reckless with no training wheels or elbow pads so my scars can tell the story of how I fell for you. I'm not much of a love poet, but if I was, I'd write about how I see your face in every cloud and your reflection in every window. You see, I've written a million poems, hoping that somehow, maybe some way, you'll jump out of the page and be closer to me. 
if I was a love poet, I'd write about how you have the audacity to be beautiful, even on days when everything around you is ugly. I'd write about your eyelashes and how they are like violin strings that play symphonies every time you blink. If I was a love poet, I'd write about how I melt in front of you like an ice sculpture every time I hear the vibration in your voice. And whenever I see your name on the caller ID, my heart plays hopscotch inside of my chest. It climbs onto my ribs like monkey bars and I feel like a child all over again. And I know this sounds strange. But every so often, I pray to God that he turns you back into one of my ribs just so I would never have to spend an entire day without you. I promise, I'm not much of a love poet. But if I was, my first poem would be about you. Great. Thank you, Rudy. Excellent poem. Uh, such a pleasure having you here in Humboldt County. Let us know where we can contact you guys and your mm. web address and for our mm. listeners. You can definitely send an email to um, goodguystour at gmail.com. Mm. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Good Guys. Um, I have a personal Facebook page, Andrew Tyree, and so does Rudy Francisco. Mm. Um, there's MySpace page for the Good Guys, and we all ha- both have our individual pages as well. Um, mm. Twitter. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do it all. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You can't yeah. miss us. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, guys. It's been an excellent interview. No, thank Pleasure you. having thank you, you in the studio. Appreciate the it. Yeah. Rudy Francisco, Andrew Tyree. Yeah, poets extraordinaire. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Appreciate thank it. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's what we do, son. <laughs> we do interviews. So you've been listening to the Mad River Anthology. The guests have been Rudy Francisco and Andrew Tyree. The Good Guys Tour. I'm Vanessa Pike Verdiak. And I'm Leif Johnson. The engineer was Tim Ayers. If you have questions or comments about this program, please call our listener comment line at 826-6089. On our blog and online archive of past programs can be found at madriveranthology.wordpress.com The show is also available in iTunes. The Mad River Anthology airs the second and fourth Sundays of the month at 10 p.m. and is produced for KHSU located at Humboldt State University in Arcata, California.